0: Today, on the Word Preacher Podcast, the hour is nigh, the fate of the wicked, and all things are spiritual. I'm Brett Jensen, and this is the Word Preacher Podcast. Uh, This week, our Come Follow curriculum will bring us into Doctrine and Covenants section 29. Um, Let's go ahead and dig in and uh, read a few verses, starting in verse 10. For the hour is nigh, and that which is spoken by mine apostles must be fulfilled. For as they spoke, so shall it come to pass. For I will reveal myself from heaven with power and great glory with all the hosts thereof, and dwell in righteousness with men on earth a thousand years, and the wicked shall not stand. And again, verily, verily, I say unto you, that, and it hath gone forth in A firm decree by the will of the Father, that mine apostles, the twelve which were with me in my ministry at Jerusalem, shall stand at my right hand at the day of my coming, in a pillar of fire, being clothed with robes of righteousness, with crowns upon their heads, in glory even as I am, to judge the whole house of Israel, even as many as have loved me, and kept my commandments." And none else. All right, so that was verses 10 through 12. Um, So, one of the first things that stands out is the word nigh. Uh, This revelation was given nearly 200 years ago. Um, And yet, nigh, it's close at hand. In fact, if you look in the scriptures, you'll see that prophets have almost always said that the kingdom of God is at hand. We have several references in various places talking about what's going to transpire in this generation. And yet, you know, here we are in 2021, still chugging along. What exactly does nigh mean? When is it actually at hand? And why does he keep saying this if this takes centuries? Um, To better understand this, there are multiple correct perspectives for this, but one of them that I want to emphasize is a parable that Jesus taught about a man that had accumulated a great amount of wealth, and he planned very carefully about the construction of greater barns, wherein he would place the wealth that he would inevitably accumulate in the future. But that night, the man died, and none of the treasures went with him. And this was kind of the moral of the story, that the kingdom of God is at hand for every person, and it is a fool, said Jesus himself, who declares, the Lord delayeth his coming. That is a, a foolish servant, that when the Lord returns will find this individual, thinking that the Lord delayeth his is coming. So of, uh, an important perspective to this is that people die every day. And in a very personal way, you will be called upon to account for your actions. The day where you face the kingdom of God is at hand. It is nigh. And that might not have all the fanfare of Jesus appearing in the clouds and personally establishing a monarchy, which we will be discussing a little bit later. Um, But for you, the kingdom of God is now within your lifetime. You are expected to prepare to meet the Lord. You are counseled not to procrastinate the day of your repentance or say within yourself, the Lord delayeth his coming. Now, of course, we don't know the date that Jesus Christ will appear in the skies and deliver his people and restore a peace on earth that has not been known since the days of Eden. But we do know that this is the last dispensation before the coming of the Lord in this manner. There's a line in verse 12 that kind of stands out. Um, as the second coming of Jesus Christ commences, it says to judge the whole house of Israel, even as many as have loved me and kept my commandments and none else. So what's with the none else? Isn't Jesus literally coming to deliver judgment, which we will also expound on in subsequent verses in this section? Well, Jesus begins, I think, uh, this is the important thing that he's emphasizing, he's beginning with a recognition of those who love him and keep his commandments. The Book of Mormon describes times in which the people were slow to receive deliverance from the Lord because they were slow to repent and turn to him to begin with. But there's a correlation to how quickly you receive him as to how quickly he provides you with something. Jesus also, in multiple places throughout the scriptures, declares that there will be a first and a last. And the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Those who were put last because of their faith in Christ, who were ridiculed or endured hardship... He will have compassion on them and bring them up first. Another perspective is how many times in the scriptures we hear reference to a first resurrection, that the righteous will take part in a first resurrection, but that the wicked will have no part in the first resurrection. All of this is, is suggesting that you can have a part in the the opening of this grand entrance if you are faithful to the commandments of the Lord. If you love him, you can have part in the first resurrection. All right, so we keep going. Let's talk about the fate of the wicked. There are some very vivid verses that I would like to read, starting in verse 14, going through 21. But behold, I say unto you that before this great day shall come, the sun shall be darkened, and the moon shall be turned to blood, and the stars shall fall from the heaven, and there shall be greater signs in heaven above and in the earth beneath. And there shall be weeping and wailing among the hosts of men. And there shall be a great hailstorm sent forth to destroy the crops of the earth. And it shall come to pass because of the wickedness of the world that I will take vengeance upon the wicked, for they will not repent. For the cup of mine indignation is full. For behold, my blood shall not cleanse them if they hear me not. Wherefore I, the Lord God, will send forth lies upon the face of the earth, which shall take hold of the inhabitants thereof, and shall eat their flesh, and shall cause maggots to come in upon them, and their tongues shall be stayed, that they shall not utter against me, and their flesh shall fall from their bones, and their eyes from their sockets, and it shall come to pass that the beasts of the forest and the fowls of the air shall devour them up. And the great and abominable church, which is the whore of all the earth, shall be cast down by devouring fire, according as it is spoken by the mouth of Ezekiel the prophet, who spoke of these things, which have not come to pass, but surely must, as I live, for abominations shall not reign. Okay, very vivid verses. Let's begin by saying God loves all of his children. He truly does. He loves every one of us. Some really, really bad stuff is coming. Some of it is deliberately sent by him targeting some of his children. And we got really vivid pictures. Flies eating flesh and eyes falling by from sockets, being devoured by beasts. That's really intense. Can this really be the same God who wept at the funeral of Lazarus, who suffered the children to come to him, who had compassion for the man lowered through the roof, and the woman caught in adultery? Well, the answer to that is yes. And if your view of Christ is too narrow to accept what he declares throughout the scriptures and through his prophets. If you just have a couple of favorite verses and say, this is Christ and nothing else, you will find yourself on the outside looking in. This is exactly the problem that the Sadducees and the Pharisees and various apostates in various generations found themselves. They thought... They were the good guys, and they weren't accepting what was coming to them from God himself. Sometimes this means we may be asked to do or accept things that make us uncomfortable. The Lord may ask us to sacrifice in ways that stretch us, to give us assignments, to prompt us to serve in ways that are difficult. We're asked to do it anyway, because it's the same God who asked Abraham to give up his son. The same God who had Lehi abandon his home and lose all of their possessions. It was the same God who told Lot and his family not even to look back as they fled the destruction of Sodom. It's the same God who allowed the punishment of Achan um, when he did not heed the counsel of Joshua and kept some of the discarded treasures of Jericho. It's the same God who punished Gehazi when he compromised his standards after lusting after the treasures of Naaman the Syrian that he had offered to Elisha as payment. Elisha had refused it. Yes, the Lord is merciful, but he is also just. And it is his call how to extend mercy or whether to extend mercy. And he does not base his decisions on our present cultural values and standards. It's not on what our society thinks is good or evil, what's woke or what's based He bases his decisions on actual righteousness and wickedness, which we only see through a glass darkly. But then, face to face, we will get a taste and understand and confess that the Lord is just. But for now, trust in it. Trust in who he sends. Believe in his prophets, and you will not go astray. All right, let's read some verses. There's a ton in this section that we are not getting to, but let's go to uh, some verses that talk about how all things are spiritual. This is verses 31 through 35. For by the power of my spirit created I them, yea, all things, both spiritual and temporal. First, spiritual. Secondly, temporal, which is the beginning of my work, and again, first temporal, and secondly, spiritual, which is the last of my work. Speaking unto you that you may naturally understand, but unto myself, my works have no end, neither beginning, but it is given unto you that ye may understand, because ye have asked it of me and are agreed. Wherefore, verily I say unto you that all things unto me are spiritual. And not at any time have I given unto you a law which was temporal, neither any man nor the children of men, neither Adam your father whom I created. Behold, I gave unto him that he should be an agent unto himself, and I gave unto him commandment, but no temporal commandment gave I unto him." For my commandments are spiritual. They are not natural nor temporal, neither carnal nor sensual. All right. Some people like to look at commandments as though they have temporal value. And this isn't entirely wrong. I mean, when we think about paying tithing, there's a tremendous amount of good that comes from that funding of churches and temples, maintaining these things, uh, meaningful activities, food and other things that help build camaraderie and establish communities and encourage fellowship and goodwill. Many other important religious expenses are, are handled through tithing funds that occur throughout the whole world. Of course, we also gain Health benefits when we avoid tea and coffee, tobacco and alcohol. There seem to be some temporal advantages to this commandment that we receive in the word of wisdom. And by fasting and contributing a minimum uh, or at minimum the value of the meals that we miss, hopefully more, um, but even if that's all we can do, collectively, Boy, we can help a lot of people in physical, temporal need, right? And of course, there's truth to this. But it's vital that we understand these temporal benefits are side effects. Something I read recently on social media, uh, it was a post, it was very insightful. It compared tithing to ancient animal sacrifice. And the observation that was made was that, for the most part, the valuable flesh of this animal that was being sacrificed was literally lit on fire, was literally burned. A person who offers tithing ought to be just as content if the Lord took that money that was being sacrificed and similarly lit it on fire not spending it for anything of temporal value. In other words, it's nice that you can be a bit more healthy from the Word of Wisdom and that people get helped by fast offerings, but the real purpose is not temporal. The real purpose is for you to get a permanent spiritual benefit from putting God first, from obeying with Him and connecting With his power. So if you find a point of disagreement, if you find some fault in how the presiding bishop makes a financial decision using money to which you may have contributed some, consider instead the benefit that you gain from God, who sees what you offer in secret and what is in your heart when you offer it. And it won't matter how it is used. It matters that you gave it. In the end, don't get bogged down by physical, temporal, or carnal policies by any church leadership, general or local. The real treasures are laid up in heaven. Don't let the temporary successes of people who compromise their standards, get you frustrated because the Lord will deal justly with everyone. And don't be afraid that the Lord delays his coming. The great day of the Lord is near, even at the doors. We appreciate all the support for the Word Preacher podcast. Next week, we will look at Easter, a message in preparation for General Conference. Of course, as I mentioned, there's a ton of stuff in Section 29 that we did not discuss today. Please study that individually and with your family. And as always, fight on.